Hey, Egghead! Sing Fair Harvard. Fair Harvard, I... <gasps> you, sir, have the boorish manners of a Yaley. Here's a witty rejoinder for you. This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, singing Fair Harvard, it's Mitch Doyle. Good, everybody. And uh, what's your favorite Ivy League school, Delroos? Jeez, good question. Uh, is Notre Dame an Ivy League school? No, no Notre Dame is famously independent. Dale. Oh, of course. The ones, My uh, apologies. Aaron, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Brown in the Brown. fair city of Providence, Rhode Island. Nobody's right. a fan of anything Brown on this podcast in terms of Nathan Browns, not the people. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, I thought Nathan we were going Browns. down a real tangent. That, that quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've just flipped today. Actually, it's not a Seabold podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this week on Race Baiting Weekly. Wow, that's a good turn. Took a turn. It did. Mm. Um, but it's probably going to take a turn for the much worse with the news that uh, Anthony Seabold and the Brisbane Broncos have parted ways. Uh, we know a lot of you enjoyed the podcast we did when this happened at Newcastle with Nathan Brown. And, um, you know, what, what, more, what more could you want than a really angry Broncos fan and two people that enjoy milking every last drop of anger out of him to <laughs> get you through such a big storyline of the 2020 season? So, first of all, Mitchell, what is the status of your career mail clip out that has been stuck to your fridge to get you through the hard time. <laughs> they didn't say which club he'd win it at. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it was for the hard times of Brisbane fans. They didn't say which club he'd win that premiership at. But you'd think after he got sacked by Melbourne, Manly, left South, and now left Brisbane, not many great clubs left on that list that he can go to and somewhere win one at. But mm. maybe, who knows, maybe England is calling. But, uh, yeah, if he, if he takes the Widner's Vikings all the way, we'll look pretty silly. But um, <laughs> uh, mate, I'm not as angry as I think people would expect me to be or as fired up as I expected to be. I tried to actually get madder before this podcast. <laughs> I know people come for the anger, but it's like, you know, no, I'm, this is a Seabold podcast. It isn't a Broncos crisis podcast. We're going to spend mostly talking about Seabold because the Broncos crisis podcast is coming when the off season comes. But like, it's just for me, it's like he had to go. He's done a terrible job from the day he got there. But it's still like, I'm still waiting for the other dominoes. You know, like Paul yeah. White is leaving, but I'm still waiting for Peter Nolan to, to get punted, for Carl Morris to lose his gig, for Darren Lockett to get stripped back. So it's like, it was a big relief. We knew he was losing his job. It just mattered when. And I guess from, from what the outside for me, it feels like him not being there two weeks is what cost him his job before the season ended. Because I feel like, there must have been a switch that flicked at the club that people were enjoying themselves a bit more without him. And I think that's what's cost him because they've come up with a severance package last week and negotiated with him since last week. And the spoon is a genuine possibility. And I think that's also part of why they've, they've done this to try and fight the spoon the last couple of weeks. But I do feel like if he didn't go on that, the coronavirus break for his family, he probably still his jo- has his job. I don't know if you guys feel like that. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, we will start with the, just for people who might not understand, like from a severage package point of view, we saw a lot of people saying, well, why would he take a million dollars when he can sit there on his contract for the next uh, four, four years? Um, why, why, would, why, why has he chosen to take the money? Well, the first thing is like, I did love how everybody on the internet became a contract law expert yesterday. I did pick that up as well, yes. Because again, good. 
I'm not a combat law expert either, but Severance packages are supposed to be enticing. Like, mm. there's a, he accepted it. They didn't force it on him. Like, he accepted the thing. Like, so it's obvious that it's more beneficial to him to take this than it is to fight for the rest of the money. And the, and the reasons for that could be multiple. It could be maybe there is performance clauses we don't know that are in the contract because we haven't seen the contract. Or it could be that, you know, well, you might, you might think, well, if I get terminated and I have to get $3 million over the next three years or I have to fight for that, I have to go to, maybe I have to get a lawyer, fight for that money. It only comes in installments over three years anyway. If I get punted, my reputation's already pretty, pretty ruined. Like, you got to weigh up, like, what's the worth fighting that? If I can get a million in my bank, bank account tomorrow or whatever it is, a 1.2, yeah. whatever, I can take that and I can leave this behind me, get out of this Brisbane bullshit and try and move on elsewhere. And if he believes in himself, and it's like, we all put ourselves in those shoes, mate. We've all had friends who accepted termination somewhere or redundancies or packages and it's weighing the pros versus the cons and obviously the pros here came out in favor of what Seabold wanted to do as well because if they didn't he wouldn't have just taken it I don't know why pe- people weren't looking up Anthony Seabold asking him to milk the club they were just doing things that they hate the Broncos and they want the Broncos to be hurt more and but it's you know, and say what you will about the guy like there's no question that everything that's happened to him this year would have been extremely draining on him from a mental health point of view and, at the, and as you said these packages have to be enticing to a degree. And if I could take a million dollars and walk off into the sunset tomorrow, which he's done, or I can get three times that amount, but I've got to spend another, you know, three and a half years under the blowtorch, getting my every move scrutinized, having people discussing me in the public light every single day. I mean, you do have to put a monetary value on these things. And like, there, there is, a, I mean, I, I honestly can see where he's coming from. And I think I, if I were in his shoes, I probably would do the same thing. Because again, like, I'm not defending the guy. I'm not defending how he got the job or his results or anything like that. But like, fuck being, fuck being under that microscope for another three and a half years. Or even another three months until he had to get fight to get punted. Like, there was a lot of hassle coming. And this is like maybe the easy way out for him. But it is the way out. And he can start focusing on the next thing for Anthony Seabold, whatever that is. You know, and... It just it did, it did make me laugh. People all of a sudden acting like they cared about Seabold today after like the last two weeks ago, every man and his dog was happy to share every personal life rumor about him. But the moment he became not part of the Broncos, people cared about him all of a sudden. Like miss me with that. You don't care about him, and you won't care about him tomorrow. You didn't care about him yesterday. Uh, but uh, it, it is interesting. He takes that and he, and he moves on. And you know, it's it's got to be. He's thinking I can try and work towards the next gig, and I don't know what that is for him. And that's not my problem anymore. But you, you wouldn't think you'd be getting a, a, a job as a head coach in the NRL for some years, if ever. Maybe he has to work his way out through England or back. But, you know, there'd probably be an assistant job there for him somewhere because that's how rugby league seems to work. Everyone can get an assistant's job. But it's just probably good for him to step away and get away from it because he certainly wasn't coping with the on the field or off the field. The pressure had been getting to him for weeks. I watched just this week a press conference with him last year. And there was one of them last year. I was really embarrassed. The The first time I was really off him was the Roosters press conference round four last year when they towered us. And um, he, he said, the good teams will do that to you. And I hated it, hated it because he called them one of the good teams and we weren't one of the good teams. But it was a total different man to what you've seen the last few weeks. Like he's just been, he's a dead man at the moment, you know, under pressure and he had to go really. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, because... And you mentioned the press conferences and the pressure was clearly getting to. I mean, I know South, Souths are a massive, massive club, but at the end of the day, they are they are one of, you know, eight or nine clubs in that Sydney slash, you know, Newcastle or whatever bubble. 
Whereas, you know, the Brisbane Broncos are the number one sports team in the state of Queensland. And it is, I mean, perhaps he wasn't ready for that step up in terms of scrutiny. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he didn't factor in just how much more he would be in the spotlight than he was at South. I just don't think, I, I didn't think he factored in either, but I just don't think he's a good enough PR man regardless. Like, you know, it is part of being a head coach is being your own PR man. And there's guys who, you know, Nathan Brown has a terrible record, but he's a good enough PR man that people believe the bullshit that comes out of his mouth. But I think that's a lot of Seabold's problem is like, he has that, that attitude. He's defensively aggressive. Like anytime he's questioned, he, he goes on the attack. And that happens when he's on interviews on TV or when he's, you know, getting interviewed post-match. Like simple things like he talks bullshit about his game model, but you ask him a question about it and he fires up and, you know, pulls out random numbers out of his ass and excuses like that. Like that doesn't get anybody on side. And, and that weird mentality he has, like, he always talks about him. Like, like you know, he goes, oh, I believe, I believe I'm a good coach. I've got this left on my contract. I believe I'm going to turn this around, whatever. If you ever, I've never heard a head coach talk so much about himself mm-hmm. than, than the team. He talks about him and then people who, who aren't on side with him are dissenters. Like, he, you know, instead of saying he wants to win for fans or sponsors, he was saying the real fans are on side with me just weeks ago. The real fans are with me, you know? Whereas well, after the Broncos lost to the Dragons on, on Friday, and, and Peter Gentle is, is no head coach, but he came out and he, one of the things that he said in his press conference was like, I hope the fans and sponsors were... We're proud of that effort. I really want to win a game for the fans and the sponsors. And it made my eyes fly out of my head because I just realized for two years, I haven't heard somebody at my club say they want to do something for the fan base because all I've been hearing is that the fans have to trust us. They're wrong, you know, but see, gentle doing that. It's easy to get on side with a man like that. Whereas you had guys like Seabold who was confrontational on all levels. And that whole thing of acting like he's smarter than the people around him and he acts like he's the smartest man in the room just doesn't work in the rugby league community. Mate. It's just not what this game is. Even the really smart guys like Trent Robinson and those guys who are rugby league geniuses and Craig Bellamy don't talk down to the rugby league community. But no. Anthony Seabold did. Yeah. And, and on a coaching front, I mean, this was a guy who, I mean, we referenced the cutout already and obviously that was very, very over the top at the time. And I don't think anyone thought that was a good idea. But I mean, he did, he did come to Brisbane coming off a prelim final appearance with Souths. You know, they were a, they, they weren't that far off making a grand final. Um, and they, they finished that regular season in 2018 with the most points scored. Now we look at the Broncos this year and they're second worst in points scored ahead of only the Bulldogs and by, with by far the worst points differential. So from a coaching point of view, like what happened at Souths that didn't happen for him at Brisbane, aside from, you know, having Greg Inglis instead of Darius Boyd and things like that? Yeah. I mean, those are minor hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what worked for him at South and, and he did come in with his, his rigid game plan that he, that he has. And, but he, when he came into at South, he came into an already well-drilled team that had come off a structured game plan with uh, Michael Maguire of experienced players of a, of a group of leaders. And he came in and he had it and he had also an effective coaching team, which he didn't bring with him to Brisbane, Brisbane. He, he put the wrong stuff around himself, a lot of yes men around him. And that always sounds like a good idea, but it just isn't it never works in any sport. Having a lot of guys who disagree with you around you. But, you know, at South, you know, he had firstly the halfback who could implement the structure. Yeah. Adam Reynolds is possibly the best at the competition at running a structured game plan in terms of halves. And then he had guys, experienced players, like what you mentioned, like GI and, and, and Sam and similar, who, you know, can follow a game plan, can lead men, which Brisbane don't have. But he also had this, this one thing. Like, South didn't have a plan B, and that did become an issue when they were knocked out. But they had, what we did have is... 
Damien Cook 2018. Everyone knows about Cook 18, but it's kind of like Jake Granville 2015 at the Cowboys. Like they had this really, really set structure, but there was this one guy with a license to break it. And Damien Cook was lightning in a bottle. Every couple of sets, he broke out of what the game plan was and created things. And, and when he came to Brisbane and he had this rigid game plan, firstly, he didn't have anyone to execute it. There was no, there was no game manager out there. That Cody Nicaremo and Anthony Milford weren't doing that. Boyd was at fullback and he couldn't give a single shit. He didn't want, you know, Seaball there from day one. And then his number nine was Andrew McCulloch, who could not be more of the opposite player to Damien Cook. So he didn't get that to work. But, you know, a good coach changes what the plan is then. But his problem from day dot was he kept the same plan and he kept it and he kept it and he kept saying, I believe in this process. I believe in this game model. Spewed this garbage about the game model comes first and everything else comes from it around the club. Everything else comes from that game model. Kept the one game plan. And then you, and you go out there now with the Brisbane team this year and it wasn't as bad last year, but the team this year, when the, we saw a couple of games when it kind of worked, game one and two, but the rest of the year, you know, the game plan, it looked like they haven't got a game plan. They're so confused about what they're trying to do. They just play one out and you have guys like Brody Croft who isn't a leader who he tied his ship to to steer the boys around and didn't work. And then they just fell into an absolute rabble on the field almost every week, not executing any game plan and staring at each other like, I don't know who's in charge here on the field. It just didn't work at all, but it's entirely different groups to what he had at South. But, you know, and, and maybe, maybe he could be a good coach again, but I don't think he'll get that chance to do it with the right group. But the, a good coach adapts to the group, not the other way around. And, and, a big, and a big issue I had with him at Brisbane again very early on was when I, I said it on this podcast, how he couldn't adapt to the weekend warriors, the guys like James Roberts. I understand you think you're a teacher, but rugby league is not a classroom, okay? They're not kids. And there's stuff have been last year. There's a story now Joel Gould put out today on NRL.com, and it's the hardest I've seen an NRL.com journalist go at, at, a, at a former coach. But he goes, he mentions in there, there's a, there's a story in there that James Roberts last year in a session writing notes, which is like, come on. But writing notes, instead of writing down Anthony Seabold's notes, Roberts wrote his name on repeat. He just wrote James Roberts on paper instead. <laughs> He's a naughty kid at school, but just like the naughty kid at school can uh, still perform in certain aspects. Yeah. Naughty kid at training can still perform on the weekend. And, and one of the things, again, I'm talking about how he talk, talks himself up. And that, that Harvard fucking course, that goddamn course at Harvard he did that he's not the only coach to have done that me or you could do, that four-day leadership course. He has this stupid thing, and I've heard him talk about it. There's six stages of leadership to building an effective team or whatever it is. I, don't, I can't remember all six stages, but I remember the first four. And the first one is called uh, norming. No, sorry, forming. Oh, wait, no, norming's the first one. They norming's the first one. So that, that, that's, uh, that's when, you know, a new coach comes in or a new leader comes in and everyone's changing their behavior and acting different and acting like the good boy and everyone's coming into work on time, all that kind of garbage. That's the next one. No, that, that was forming. So second one's norming. Norming is like, they then after like two, three weeks, they go back to who they were. And that's where it fell apart for James Roberts and Anthony Seawell back to who he always was. And then the next one he calls storming or some bullshit and then it's performing. You know, all these things you could have found on Google, but he went to Harvard to find team building things but it's again it's you can say in an office and you put processes in place and all that kind of shit but it's it's goddamn rugby league it's not a play it's not built on jira or confluence like workplaces are there's not a project board you know you're not assigning things in a sprint to people okay like mm. it's it's not everything it goes down to a game model like humans are not a, a box on a piece of paper and they're not and rugby league players a lot of, not all of them are students and he's refusal to adapt to those kind of players is what's left them a joyless lot right now. Like, how much do these players hate playing with this guy? None of them said a good word about him. And more and more is coming out that they were... Like, that shareholder that went, went hard at him... Yeah. ...was apparently... Players were texting him. 
Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, and if, you know, if, if people didn't hear that basically earlier today, but um, this guy who is a shareholder in the, in the Broncos, as we know, they're a publicly owned club basically said that, you know, I, I can't really quite verbatim if one of you's got it there, but basically it was like, you know, sometimes you've got to cut the cancer out of something to cure it or something. Yeah. Like. I did say that. It was um, yeah. pretty. That was, that work. was the, that was an interesting, obviously an interesting turn of phrase, but like not one that I don't feel would have been considered. Like it's not the kind of thing that you just say as a throwaway line, especially if you're in a position like the shareholder was of a lot of influence and not necessarily uh, profile, but like being in a position of power like that to burn a bridge so brutally and so publicly is, I mean, we hear of that kind of stuff coming out from players, but like, yeah, from boardroom. Yeah, I pulled oh, well, it. I pulled it up. Not the boardroom, though. Not the boardroom. It's share, the shareholders. Apologies. So in um, the AGM, this Bill, Murphy. Bill Murphy, who owns twenty-two yes. percent of the club, said it's like having a cancer and it has not been cut out. If you don't treat the cancer, you die, and I don't want to see the Broncos die. But the thing is, right? I heard him say that, and it didn't sound as brutal as it does when you read it. If you get me, and and people are blown up about that, and it's not a nice thing to say about Anthony Seabold, but. Locker room cancer is a sporting yeah, cliche. Yeah, thrown around all the time. Like, yeah. come yeah. on, it's all he's calling him. He's calling him a cancer, and he went a little harder than it, that. And it's not, it's not nice, but in this grubby world of rugby league, it doesn't really rate a mention on my Richter scale in terms of things to get outraged about. Yeah, the people mm. were losing their minds thinking he was on the board, but that's just how far this had gotten. Like that, players were texting him, just a shareholder, about how how much they've been sick of Seabold and. You know, rugby league, like half the job is getting those players to enjoy their game. And if they enjoy the every day and they, and they believe in you, they'll go out there and they'll do their best for you. And it's been obvious since like week four of this season that that team had given up on what Seabob was putting out. They weren't enjoying themselves. And we've seen it like, you know, David Vita all of a sudden went from talking about how he never want to leave the club, never would never leave Brisbane to, to going to another football club. And there's yeah. obviously multiple factors there, but I, I have a take that if, Tom Dearden, for example, was a halfback from round one. I don't think Fafita would have left. But I have zero doubt that if Anthony Seaborn wasn't, wasn't the coach, he'd still be yeah. there. Well, I mean, let's, I mean, and we can probably move on there to, to Brody Croft then. Obviously, the, the marquee off-season recruit who was touted by many, many big names in the game as being the answer to the Ugh. Broncos half problems. I mean, no one in this room. But um, a, lot, a lot of, you know, there, were, there was a fair bit of preseason hype from some people like Andrew Johns and others about Brody Croft's abilities. And I know that Seabold was a very large proponent of why Croft ended up at the club. But, I mean, I, I don't think a man with fewer tries than Mark Nichols has, has mm. really taken that opportunity with both hands. Is Mark Nichols available? I mean, no, because he's, he's, he's the second best bench forward on the Rabbitohs at the moment. <laughs> he's, a, he's a heart and soul of South Sydney at this, this point. Well, he's another... Brody Croft is a, is a great example of, of Anthony Seabold's arrogance or belief in himself and that he thought he could make Brody Croft someone he wasn't, that, that the Storm couldn't. He thought he could do it. And, I, and I've heard the Storm couldn't believe another club wanted Brody and they couldn't believe Brisbane was the club that wanted him. But, you know... But anyway, yeah. they, that's it. They, they that, took that, him on. That, to me, is a big red flag. Huge. Because... Like, I mean, I, I know that we've had, and I know that like players have gone, have come from Melbourne with big raps, um, like you know Blair and you know McLean and other players, like like mostly players that have gone elsewhere have, and, and had relative success success rather have been you know system forwards, I guess you could call yeah. them, but like 
nobody has really, aside from Kronk, who is, you know, the think. best, the best half, the best halfback in the last twenty years. Um, but like, no one else really, from yeah. a back's perspective, has gone to another club and succeeded. Widdop's Widdop, like the only one, right? Because then there's yeah, like, and I mean, even that's kind of moderate. Yeah, Widdop was good. Come on, don't sound sure. Yeah, 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 he was good. Like, but I mean, ben I mean, actual yeah. Kelly, Riley, Jacks, all these guys. Kurt Man's good now. <laughs> Took a while. <laughs> true. Kurt Man, he's good now. That is true. But um, yep. I mean, but yeah, no, you're right because. That that is the red, that is the biggest red flag of all, mate. Because you know people leave the storm all the time, and they have raps when they're at the storm, and they don't perform when they leave the storm, and that just you know people just sort of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, well that's what happens. But the reverse is just never seen. You never see a guy who the storm have given up on go well, go somewhere else and turn into a superstar. Yeah, and and the storm tried much longer with him than they should have, but they probably had a bit of false belief that they turned Cooper Cronk from an outside back into a halfback. Well, they had false belief they could do it again because they're doing it with Jaron Hughes right now. And, and I know I'm not saying Brody was an outside back, but he played a lot of his junior rugby on the wing. He wasn't always a half. And, and he's not, never been a natural half, when you, if you ask me, when you watch him play anyway. He stops before the line. And he has really square shoulders. He's very awkward carrying the ball. But anyway, Seabold tied his ship, ship to him. And I know people try to act like he was left a poor, left a poor roster. And you could argue that was, that was the hole he was left. He was left the halfback hole, and that roster was large. Probably fullback was an issue too with the way Dub's form went. But he was left that hole and that's how he chose to fill it. And he had all these raps on Tom Dearden last year, but he's gone ahead and put Brody Croft ahead of him in the offseason. And the real red flags there were not even the fact he recruited Brody. It was the fact that over the offseason, he made him a leader, made him the vice captain, was out there talking about how he, you know, uh, Brody gets the game tactically and technically. He's going to lead this team around. He's a game manager, all that garbage. And it's all stuff that was happening on the training field. And you think, again, this guy who was talking about his own little Harvard theories, how guys for two, three weeks act like someone they're not, didn't apply it to Brody Croft. Mm. Like, it's, it's been a big issue of, of his whole, of his whole stint actually is just how much he relies on training. And it sounds dumb for me to say that training isn't everything, but it really isn't. Game day is. Like, if you perform on game day, tra- no, your teammates don't care how good you do at training. They just don't. And, and Brody... Was a, it was a, he's a false dawn at training for, for Seabot over this offseason, like he was some game manager or leader. It was never there on the field. But, you know, as a, as a big pro, a profile coach at a big profile club, it's pretty embarrassing to be Anthony Seabold and have the four players that followed you there from your previous stints are Brody Croft, Richie Kennar, Reese Kennedy, and Jesse Arthurs. Like, those are the, the four recruits you brought with you to the Broncos. You can get pretty much anyone to go to the Broncos, and those are the four you chose because you worked with them before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like right. recruitment's not entirely his job, but those four, are, 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 are his hands all over it. And then we see this year, like he just has that stubborn belief in himself in this dumb system that he kept Brody there until there was injuries. He might have still been playing if there was if there wasn't a door open for Tom Dearden. Yeah, and, and it's like, not, it's and obviously the recruitment was bad, but the retention is much worse. Like Dave Fafita leaving. Pangai, you know, I mean, not well. We'll see what happens <laughs> yeah. there, but like those two guys, uh, along with Payne Haas, are the three most promising forwards Brisbane have had in a really long time. And one of them's gone, and another one could be out the door. And it's just bizarre that this was allowed to happen. Yeah, I mean, that, and was... that that to me, like, I mean, I was thinking about this in the in the car on the way home from work today, and I was kind of like, because I knew we'd be doing it, we'd be doing an episode on this, and I was thinking, you know, like, what are the what are the positives? Of Brisbane this season and one of them has obviously I know there's not many I'm doing my best um one of them was obviously the fact that they had a very strong they started the season with a very strong young forward pack and the talk was always that they would have these players like Lodge and Fafida and Haas 
and you know Flegler to to an extent are built with players more experienced players like yeah Alex Glens etc cetera, etc cetera. and that they those guys would be able to roll the ball over the advantage line make easy meters through the middle and then be able to play like respect the footy and then play out wide to a slightly more meager outside backs group but like I kind of, I was thinking about this today, as I said, and I was just like, but like no one, none of those guys are going to be there next year. Like I mean, Matt Lodge will be there because he's crocked and he can't sign anywhere else. Flegler will be there because he's, he's only what in his first season or first and a half season. But the other, the other two, Glenn will probably leave for feeder will pro, for, for feeders going. And then Pangai looks likely to leave as well. So they're going to be left with not very good halves, not very good forwards, not very good backs. Now I'm not an I'm not an expert, but you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Well, I don't actually think the players look, are as bad as good. they look though. Yeah. I actually think the players are bad as they're playing right now. Like they're just yeah. all miserable. Like I do think there is problems in that roster that weren't as many as when he got there. Like losing Fafita is unforgivable. And we went from having last start last year we had too many back rowers to having one now with Alex Glenn. Sick and maybe Jordan, Jordan Ricky works out unless I can't. Oh man, right. Alex Glenn, don't you feel for him? Wasn't he captain at the end of last season? Well, that's also another thing, mate. <laughs> we have to have to like say that's another oh, thing they got wrong, mate. Dear. They didn't want they didn't want Alex Glenn to stay at the club many times. Many times on his last contract, and they made him the captain because they were failed to recruit a better captain or leadership. But again, I'm trying to make this Seabold's problems, not the club's problems. Sure. That's the yeah. club's problem. He didn't he didn't create that one. I don't blame him for that one. That problem was created by that club. But going back to some of his coaching stuff, though, mate, like when we're talking about how he won't change his methods, in this Joel Gould article today, talking about how several of the leadership group were approaching Seabold to, like, change some things or what they might enjoy more. And, you know, they even overtook that Bulldogs game and they won when they coached themselves, which is embarrassing. But, and Darius Boy quit the leadership group because he wasn't taking it on. It's like, if you were such a, a foolproof rugby league genius, wouldn't you think you'd be rigor testing your systems? Like, if this isn't working, wouldn't you take feedback on and, and change mm-hmm. or like, no, no, you just do the same thing and beat your head against the wall and keep doing the same thing till it works. Is that, is that what he was trying to do with this squad? And then I thought that would work out and somehow one someday the team would just get on side with him. <laughs> just terrible oh coaching. Doesn't, doesn't, wasn't there the story a few weeks ago about breaking the team into other leadership team into developing team mm-hmm. captains and non-developing team well, captains? Like lots of teams have that by the way. Like, yeah, but, yeah, mid- middle of the second year, you break them into that and then you break them into leadership off-group meetings with Darren Lockyer, which is another problem. But like, it's just, yeah, that changed. Game plan can't change. Leadership group can though. Ridiculous. But um, Yeah. And as you say, I mean, there was, that, there was that part about, what was it? There were no vice captains or all the vice captains were in the developing leadership group. Yeah. But none of the other, yeah. Like, I, I understand the kind of developing and, you know, you kind of have players in that developing group and you go to them and say, look, what would you do here? And you go to the, the, leaders, the leadership leadership group and say, okay, this is how we're going to go. I want feedback from you. You're teaching the younger guys how to be leaders and look to the older players for an example. But like, well, I the guys don't understand where he's, where he's gone with that. Most of the guys, who ca- the, Pat Carrigan has captain most of the games this year. He's in the developing mm. leadership group. But he's like 21. Yeah, but he's, but again, he shouldn't be the captain, but then how's the captain in the developing group? I don't know. Yeah. Um, other parts of that I also hate, I hated like the other fault, like the false innovator bullshit. I just, it can never be lost to me. Like that stuff, like you can't, remember that he came out one week saying he was going to do a rotation policy and be the first ever to do it in rugby league. He <laughs> thinks he can steal like ideas from other sports 
mm. mash them together and he's some original innovator, like, like you're the rugby league and that's going to work for you. And then he can that idea anyway, but that whole, that head up your own ass mentality that you don't even look over the fence to see if someone else in rugby league has done it. You're just like, yeah. I'm doing this. I'm the first to do it. It's the best idea ever. That's it. Listen to this. And then he didn't even do it anyway, but it happened by, by injuries. But I no one has that. ever rotated their players before Mitch. No, they are, you, are you not aware of this? <laughs> yeah. And then, and they, oh, through the whole, whole tenure though, as well, like there's that. And then there's excuses every week. Cause I said, the ones I got pushed off, put off by, but the, the decisions, the basic decisions with that roster, like round one, 2019, when he started Matt Gillett at lock and Jaden Sewell on the edge against the storm and Sewell was underdone. And that was the last game he ever started for the Broncos. He was that bad, but that was round one last year. He did that, you know, then, and then, um, he obviously screwed up James Roberts last year. Didn't start Dave Fafita as a regular starter till round 18 last year. Like, he played more minutes in origin than he was playing at NRL level last season. You know, then he had Alex Glenn playing center again last year. Moved Milford to fullback. Moved Boyd to six. Had Boyd at center this year. This year's played four different fullbacks. Had a fifth one planned who got injured. That's just not good coaching anywhere. Like, and then, but he would then go to the press conference after the game and go, I believe in my process. This is it. It's great. I'm the best, whatever. And then shuffle half the team next week. Okay. Yeah, it does. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, we always we always laugh about, like, the 76ers and the whole trust the process thing. But, like, mm-hmm. I, like there, were, there, was, there were similarities, obviously. But, like, there were significant differences. Like, they were trying to build a roster around, like, you know, not money ball, but pretty close too, like with draft picks and things like that and kind of have two or three very good guys and then fill the rest of the floor with trash. But like, you can't kind of, as I said, you can't really do that with a footy team because there's too many pieces in motion. There's too many parts in motion. And also all of those parts are in some part of a game important. Like obviously you could say, oh, you know, a centre's not that important. But like, if you've got a centre that can't tackle, for example then they get run over. Or if you have a winger that can't catch the ball, then they constantly get kicked to. Or if you have a half that can't kick, then you can't get down the pitch. Like each of those cogs have to move together. Otherwise the whole clock stops running. And that's to me, what's happened with the Broncos is like, there have been a succession, as you said, of just poor. So many. But like personality kind of, not even personality, but like man management decisions that have just kind of compounded and compounded and to the point where it's not like Seabold could win games for the rest of the season, but I wouldn't want him to coach my team because I don't feel that him, his coaching style or his coaching philosophy is, is tenable, not just at the Broncos, but it's almost like you've, you've kind of like, I, you've, you've pulled back the curtain and you're seeing the man controlling the wizard at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me is for him, it's like, it's sad for him because like now he, how hard is it going to be for him to get another, as you said, for him to get another head coaching gig? Because like now everybody knows, now everybody knows that the emperor has no clothes on. Yeah. Mm. It's, it, it, and as Mitch said, like the Nathan Browns of the world can finesse their public appearance to get other gigs, but I don't know if he can. And I, I, I also think about like the, just the, some of the stories you read about Brisbane in the last few weeks, like we know about Pangai, but like also, you know, half the team being out in the beers when they shouldn't have been like players. Routine oh, they don't respect yeah. him, mate. Like, mm. it's, and obviously like we're not going to have a global pandemic every year, but I feel like that pandemic in the case of Brisbane has really, I guess, accentuated just how little respect they have for him and how little respect they have for the rules and for the club they're playing for at the moment. And that's all bred from 
not caring what the coach thinks and not responding to the way he operates. Not afraid of consequences at all. Yeah, and like, and this is one thing that I find, and I don't want to, I don't want to talk about Wayne too much because I don't want Mitch to tip the table over. But uh, with when Wayne was there, can you not not necessarily can you imagine the players going out on the beers in a situation like that? Because like you put that to one side, but to me, the players wouldn't have to go out on the beers. Because the players would all be having a barbecue at Wayne's place. And like, you can, like, they would say, okay, we'll keep it on the down low. People turn up at Wayne's. We'll say that it's a team meeting. We'll have a few beers. We'll have some snags. Hunky dory. Bunga can have the fucking tofu. I don't know what the go is there. Why am I there? Is bread vegan? There's a lot of questions to be answered. Can you have, can you have bananas? Can you have bananas as a hot dog? There's a lot of questions. Why is Pete Siddle at this team meeting? Um, but as I said, like they, they wouldn't have needed to go out on the beers to let yeah. off steam because they could have just gone and whether it was have a coffee or have a beer at Wayne's or you know, right. organize something at the team, like at Red Hill or whatever. Like th- there would have been ways and means for this to have happened. They would have communicated the fact that they weren't happy, that they felt under pressure, that even if they weren't performing, they would have... Like, can you imagine, Wayne, if this team was coming 15th? No, is the first question. But my point is more that, like, can you imagine him having a poor year and then being like, this is all on me, but at the same time going to the players and being like, look, I know that we're having a bad trot. I'm going to try a few new... I'm going to try a few different things. I don't want you to take these selection decisions personally, et cetera, et cetera. And he would have had the team around him. Whereas with Seabold, as you said, because it is that me-centric ideal of his, Mm -hmm. he's constantly thinking, well... Oh, well, those guys, those guys going out on the beers, that's their fault. Or those guys not performing on the pitch, that's their fault. Mm-hmm. They're not buying into my philosophy. They're not buying into my regime. Yeah. Um, but, but as I said, Wayne would have just been, you know, lads, like, you fucked up. Well, we just fucked up this week. Mate, in general. It's Let's quite, move on. It's Go quite to Brown when we did this for Brown in a lot of ways because those problems at Newcastle were quite visible, I think, to the outside world. Like, we knew why it wasn't working. We knew... We knew it was the structure. We knew it was the recruitment. We knew it was the team selections. And whilst those are problems at Brisbane, it seems like above everything else. Because as you said, there are good players in this team. Like it seems yeah. like above all else, it's an attitude and it's a mental thing that we just can't see firsthand. But I know that you you would have heard things, Mitch, and we've sort of you know you get whispers in these stories that it's just it just all comes down to people just being sad and that they're hating it, right? They hate their life at the moment. That goes a long way. I mean, we've all played on sports teams, but we you know we just pissed off. Not not necessarily because you're losing, just because you know people aren't putting in and you know mm. both not up the training and things like that and I'm, and this is basically that on a professional level to me is that that's an outsider's perspective yeah man i'm with you on that and it's like the the breaking of those restrictions comes down to the unhappiness too right if you're enjoying your footy and you're focused and you're happy to be in the bubble you're not looking for escapes mm. they're looking for ways out and, and and that's what they do on the field too mate they look for a way out of enduring bloody games there's a, a big attitude issue up there and that goes that actually goes all the way to the top there they that club makes excuses all the way from the top down. Like guys like Joe O doing three DUIs and not getting any warning. Ridiculous. Mm. But that was that poor attitude they had that that whole club did breathe the arrogance that Seabold breathes that they, they were right. They had the right squad. They were the best. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. We know what we're doing up here, Brisbane, you know? But yeah, um, I do think mate, it's a lot of it comes down to like that. That's a miserable, miserable, miserable environment up there right now. And, you know, it's been pretty rare and it happened in the Henjack years, but it's very rarely that there's players looking for the door at Brisbane, but there's multiple looking for the door right now. And that, that's, just, that's rare. You don't say that very often. Yeah. It, it's, and I just, 
like, I don't know, it's just, you, you can't help but think sort of just how much, what, just how many years of this club has been changed, it, it, like irreparably going forward, just based on the coaching swap two years ago. Yeah, well, I do think that they're lucky that, you know, Paul, Paul White is going this offseason, so that'll come to move the club forward. That's a new CEO, and hopefully new CEO is in before the new coach. If they appoint the new coach before the new CEO, I might jump off the Harbour Bridge because it's the same old bullshit they went through with this. Well, they just predetermined the guy and pick him. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, new CEO. And I, and I do think Carl Morris is really un, under pressure to keep his job this offseason too. That, that's the, the chairman. But And then guys like Darren Lockyer. I haven't got an issue with Darren Lockyer being around the club. I have an issue with him being in three roles. I don't know how you can be an effective member of the recruitment retention panel the board and the leadership consultant. If you're on the board, are you not supposed to see the players as commodities? Like not yeah. have personal relations with the, with them? How do you make decisions on person with personal relationships? And the same thing, recruitment and retention, you should be a little bit distanced from that. I feel like he has to have one of those roles, not three of those roles going forward. I'm actually okay with him being the leadership consultant or on the board. I'm not I'm not cool with him being in recruitment and retention because they've just messed that up for a long time. His hands are all over that. But, uh, but back to Steve, I do want to touch on how he got to Brisbane and how people are trying to feel sorry for him now. Is like, one of the reasons why I didn't lost respect for him pretty early on was when he threw his kids in front of him. Do you remember that when he was saying, My kids are crying to Wayne and it was Wayne's fault that Seabob wasn't at Brisbane? He could only see his perspective that he was fighting for that Brisbane job and it's Wayne's fault that Wayne won't leave early. You know, it's like, mate, you mm. wide ended your way into that job. And then. Well, think about his family, but you won't think about the families of everyone else that impacted. Didn't give a shit. Like, when he went to Brisbane, they sacked all the support staff by, I think, one person. God, didn't that's a big a, red flag, hey? Didn't see a pouring one out for those guys, and they replaced yeah. most of yes men. But, yeah, always about his situation, how he feels, not about those around him. That's just a poor leader when you, when you can't see the forest for the trees or empathize with those around you. And that's almost exactly the opposite of Wayne Bennett, and, as Dale mentioned. And Wayne might not be the world's greatest tactician anymore, but what he can do He's empathised with men, get men to believe in him and surround himself with good assistants to get a good system in place. Mm-hmm. And that Broncos lot went from that to the complete opposite and have hated it pretty much since the start. And, and you can hear it when they, even when they were a few weeks ago talking in press conferences, Paddy Carrigan in the players' press conference, they were talking about how they're trying to win for each other. And they just didn't talk about Seabold at all. We, yeah. you know, I want to win for my mates. I want to do this for the boys. We're really struggling together, whatever. There was never anything like we want to do this for the coach because they don't feel like they owe that coach anything. They don't feel like they're playing for you. They didn't. I remember when Darbs came out in a press in a post post game. I think they played at Gosford. Hmm. Uh, it must have been yeah. It must have been the Warriors game. And he came out on Fox and he was just like, "Yeah, it's just not good enough. You know, we've just got to get better. You know." But it was there was nothing. There was nothing there. there it didn't hmm. look as if he. And that's not necessarily a reflection just of Seeds, but like obviously the way the season's going for the Bronx. But like, I feel in in past teams when he's performed poorly, at least he would have cared enough about it to, to put on, you know, put on yeah. a little bit more of a face as opposed to just being like, yeah, that was not great. We should really do doing better, blah, blah, blah. But it put more thought into this, put more thought into the stuff, put more thought into the answers. How are you going to improve? What can you do better? Where were the mistakes made, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that coming off getting up, getting flogged by a team that hasn't seen their kids in 12 weeks isn't a great feeling, but at the same time, like it, that speaks to the point that you were making about these blokes, just co- like clearly mentally on the beach, um, yeah, mate. which is, which is, and it's so tough to motivate guys when, when you've already clocked off, like we've all been there, 
It's 4.50 on a Friday afternoon and you get that. The phone's ringing and you are definitely not picking it up because you are cracking a cold one. But like that's where it felt like Dubs was at in that moment. And it feels like, as you say, a lot of the blokes are kind of in the same spot just because they're unable to be motivated. Yeah, and it's and it's with those guys. You, what you mentioned there with Darius is also another thing that was always bizarre with Seabold. Is that at the end, Darius still, clearly doesn't respect him. Left the leadership group, all that kind of stuff. And through his whole tenure, not once did Seabold have the balls to drop him. Yeah. <laughs> not once. Just, just ha- went out there with an unhappy player on the field and just stuck with it for some reason. It got and, and I mean, we did, we did see that come to fruition on the weekend, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, that's it. But it, it cleared the centre out there. I don't know why he stuck with that. And I'll, we'll never know. Mm. It's, just, um, it's a relief he's gone with, with a lot more to come. And, but I will say as well, on that payout, I don't know why people actually give a shit about the dollar figure because, like, it's not my, out of my pocket. I couldn't give a shit if they paid him $10 million. I do love no. that. I always love that. It's just a common thing in sports where, like, the average fan on the street is outraged by the size of a contract or by how much Nick Kyrgios makes for making the fourth round of an open, but they don't talk about like the billions that the people who own the sports teams or who, you know, uh, or who oversee these events are worth. Paid paid eighty million dollars a second, never even done a war. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, like I couldn't care less what they paid him because like a severance package. I don't think it comes out of the coaching cap next year. Then I think it's it'll be all done now. But either way, it's like this club has money coming out of its ass. I don't care. Like it's not my money. I've torn my membership up, 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 membership up when Wayne left. So I'd leave my 150 bucks, you know? Yeah, my, and you're not a shareholder. So, like, yeah. it, it is it is interesting, the, the the point about them being a publicly traded company. And obviously, like, this, what's his name? Phil, Phil I don't know, Gary Glitter or whatever his bloke's name is. Um, uh, about them having, like, they, they're just, you know, really, like, every, I know he's wealthy, obviously, he's a, he's a majority shareholder. But, like, really, he's just, just an everyman who just happens to own a lot. He's not necessarily invested because he's, um, you know, like the bloke who ran the Cowboys, who he did that story time on a few weeks ago. Um, he, he hasn't been around at the club, like as a, as a, you know, in the club kind of thing. He just, he just owns a portion of the club, but it is interesting. The fact that their shares over the last few months have absolutely tanked mm. because I think people are, as you say, getting wind of just how bad things are at the club and the fact that things may not improve next season or the season after like god hope i hope they do for your for your sake mitch but as i said this could be the harbinger of a lean few few years but um yeah that that, that as the only as the only what they're the only publicly listed sporting team in australia i believe so yeah so like you know uh, we can't. We don't really have a reference around this. There are a lot of other publicly traded sports teams. Like I think in in Italy, a lot of the big football clubs over there are publicly traded. But obviously, if they continue to succeed, then their stock grows in value. But with the Broncos, people are kind of getting out at the top before the roller coaster hits the you know hits the slope. Yeah. Um, hopefully, as I said, for your sake, that there it isn't a, a lean few years. I think that's why the rest of rugby league is upset right now is that they, they think maybe this might be the start of moving on and we see yeah. leaving the club. But um, we might move on to talking about potential candidates. I do want to do a few Broncos coaching stat records for for Seabold versus the other coaches. So I just want to mention, so obviously the worst record of a Broncos coach of all time, only in the last of 40 games, including the Peter Gentle games, which is the shortest Broncos coach stint. One fourteen of those, a 35% record. In those two full seasons, we scored over 30 points once. 
Never had another season when he scored once, you know, I believe, but only scored over 30 once in two and a half, so one and a half seasons. Scored six or less in nine games under Seabold. That's five times last year, which is the most in a, in a year for the club. And then four times this year, which is the equal second most. Uh, the Broncos have never had back-to-back losing seasons in their history until now. They've never finished lower than 12th. We're going to finish lower than 12th. I've only missed the finals twice since 1991. And this obviously is the third time missing since then. But yeah, worst for and against two years in a row of a Broncos coach of a, or a Broncos season. Cumulative worst for and against for a Broncos coach. Like It's just as poor as a coaching scene as you can get at a club, but especially at a club with this, this level of talent. And it is, outside of Dan Lockyer, it is a better roster than Ivan Hanjak had. Ivan Hanjak had a lot of garbage in that roster. He's playing Shane Tronk and Nick Kenny and, and Darren Mapp and all that kind of garbage. He's done a worse job than him. It's... um. One of the worst coaching stints I can remember at a rugby league side of the modern era. Yeah. Nathan Browns uh, are still worse. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, South's early 2000s, but they've got some excuses. But um, Yeah, I mean, Newcastle had some excuses as well. Obviously, the club kind of fell out, fell out, fell out from under them. Yeah, but, yeah. Come on. Um, but I, I, I just want to say this because it'll, I feel like if Mitch says it, it might cheapen the message somewhat. But, I mean, people, people do talk about that Newcastle team and about other teams and about the hard times and how every team goes through hard times. But the way this league is set up and the advantages that Brisbane have, they should not be ever going through these hard times. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, teams like mine and yours there will get a wooden spoon from time to time or they'll have some lean years. And, you know, you just have to deal with that. To part. That shouldn't be a part of your life as a Brisbane Broncos fan and for the Brisbane Broncos as a club. They should not ever be accepting being as bad as they are right now. And um, there, there's just really no way to defend what he's done since he got there. Yeah, that's it, mate. And, and obviously, there's a lot more factors of the issues at the club. But we're judging Anthony Seabold and the results that Anthony Seabold was, was employed to get, and he didn't get them at, at all. And all the things around him that it, he, he's had his hand on, you know, this, this is a big steaming pile of shit machine, but he's a large cog in that perpetual motion shit machine. He's a big, big cog in that, you know. There's many other parts of that machine, but he is one of them, and they removed that. And Paul White is gone as well. And potentially the club might turn around the right direction in a few months after that. But there's certainly, um, you know, people talk about salt in the earth and they mention Wayne Bennett, you know, this, the club, this club has been salted. If Pangai has gone now too, the next coach who comes in is, is gone from a, you know, looking at, if he came in last off season, we all heard, you know, as Val mentioned earlier, the, the best young pack in the competition, Pangai, Haas, Fafita, a fit Matt Lodge, Paddy Carrigan's coming through. Joe O was a rep, was a Queensland player. Flegler's there. So next year, you know, oh, well, yeah, look, Fafita and uh, Pangai are gone. Carrigan's kind of okay. Joe O stinks now. Lodge is crocked. But, hey, you got Payne Haas. That's pretty cool, right? Oriots <laughs> can play in the second row. Does that yeah, count? That's it. It's like, yeah, we might have to keep playing Alex Glenn to his 47 because <laughs> no, now we have no back rowers. What was it? Joe O hasn't won a game in a year now? Yeah, he hasn't won this season. Oh, man. Good. Yeah, he was suspended oh, at the start of the year. But yeah, and I, but I do think the defining thing of Seabold's time at Brisbane is out of all the things is that Brody Croft move we mentioned it, and it's not even just trying to attack Brody, but it's just the difference between that Brisbane side when when Brody or, or Dearden play is massive. Like when yeah. Brody, when Dearden and Brody both play, we are still an an NYC a Toyota Cup team in defence. We still concede thirty plus points a game, hmm. but when Dearden plays, the the sliders have changed. 
we scored 20 plus points. You know, when, when, he, when without, without Croft the other week, we scored 26, I think, against the, the Sharks. We scored 24 against the Dragons. But all of a sudden, the team can score points and they might actually win some games with that. And that's the biggest indictment is that that guy had them at training, Mr. Training Expert, and stuck with Brody Croft over Dearden. And it's not the first time he's done that. He did the same thing last year, not play without with Fafita. Relied too much on training, stuck with things that clearly weren't working and thought he was too smart. Wouldn't do what everyone was calling for. Everybody and his dog was saying, play Tom Dearden. Wouldn't do it. Mm. And then when we get there and he plays, at the moment he plays, Dearden looks like one of the better young halves in the competition. Possibly the best young halfback that Brisbane have developed since Langer. You know, not, not really a big competition there, but you know, it looks fantastic and the team moves forward and things happen when Dearden's there. And Dearden looks like has that thing that Milford doesn't have and that that's the will to drive the team to victories all the time and wants the ball in his hands when the team's down. Like he has all that. That was all sitting there, not playing. While you sat there and lost games and you lost, watch your job fade away in front of you. You sat there and watched that happen. Mm. For, I don't know whose benefit, just not just to prove yourself right and go down with that croft ship. Nobody asked you to plant that flag and Brody as hard as you did. Probably not even Brody would have liked it that much. And this is where it is. That's the defining thing if, you, if his time at Brisbane and, um, I'm not sure. I mean, just this week, Peter Gentle has p- picked Sean O'Sullivan over him. That's what you know. The assistant thinks of Brody Croft, who worked for Seabold. Like already, O'Sullivan had, came off his ACL injury. Might be the slowest man alive, and is getting picked <laughs> over Brody Croft. Yeah. That's what the other coaching staff think of him. That's a, that's massive for what what it says about their tenure of Seabold and Croft. And Croft probably never plays for Brisbane after this season. I don't know what they'll do with him after this year, but you wouldn't think he'd be around much. I think he's one of those things that Mm -hmm. he is a memorial of a worst time that needs to be burnt somewhere. (laughs) It is, it is interesting. The point that you make about the possibility of Dearden, uh, Dearden versus uh, Croft, but also like the, the, if you've got O'Sullivan and Dearden there and you have Turpin playing at nine, like you can kind of cop, there being a few a few like lean, not necessarily poor seasons, like obviously not this bad, but like a ninth or a twelfth with like you know like a an eleven and fourteen record or something. Like you can cop those if you're playing if you're bringing up players who are eighteen, nineteen, twenty halfbacks who are in their early twenties who are still kind of learning their craft, and a, and a young hooker in someone like Turpin mm. who will kind of has to figure out how to run games um, as he develops. But like you, like Croft is on a boatload of cash, which is now all you would assume going down the river sticks in the wrong direction, um, and you don't have the opportunity to to blood those younger players because, as you said, Seabold felt the need to keep Darbs there to be continually popular, to play him out of position or play him where he felt that he was working. And then try and fit other people around him. If you have Croft out of the, if you have Croft off the board, then at least you can say, oh well, we'll play Dearden for five weeks while while O'Sullivan comes back. And then when O'Sullivan comes back, you've actually got a battle a battle for position. And you can mm-hmm. say, oh well, maybe we'll play one week with Darbs out, and we'll play Milford at fullback, or play Dearden at fullback, or we'll do just try and change things up because at that point, like you know that you have good players, you're just seeing where they fit best in your, in their positions. But as you say, with Croft there, you are effectively playing with really 11 because obviously you've got Boyd there as well. But like you're playing with 12, you've that all those little all those little magnetic strips that make up those team diagrams. One of them is glued onto the board, and it was always Croft. But yeah. now with him pried away, 
there's the potential for them to look to build better players to make them more intelligent going forward from this year to, oh. to make the team better and to make them better players. 100%, Matt. He was 100% handbrake on their development of mm. other players when he was playing. He was that poor of a halfback. It's, he's one of the worst I've seen play regular football. It's just, it's that simple. But, uh, but moving forward for the Brisbane, though, like, I don't know who I want as the next coach. But, and I'm not a big Peter Gentle fan, but like, I was so happy that when I watched the press conference on the weekend that he said things that just made sense. Like, simple things like, oh, yeah, I prefer Deirdre and Milford to Croft. No shit. So yeah. Those kind of things. And other things like saying, like, again, he, he found a way. This Seabob was so bad at it. He used young players as an excuse and looked like a blatant, this is why we lost. We had this many, whatever, whatever. But Peter Gentle went out there and was just like saying, yeah, look, the young fellas, had a lot of them, they did their best. Didn't go out there and saying, well, yeah, well, look at our caps compared to the other team. Well, that kind of garbage. Just very different. But I'm hoping the boys can find a way to enjoy the next couple of games and, and get a win or two. Because if they, that spoon, um, you don't shape wooden spoons. You know, there's no, some clubs forever, hold up. Mate. They hold up that, well, at least you never got a spoon. No one ever says, well, you got 15th that once, one time, you know? Yeah, yeah. you're right. But, but going, going forward for them, I hope there's no head coach appointed till off-season's fixed. But I don't think there's many candidates they'll look at, like, I don't think I actually think the best coach available now is Todd Payton, after what I've seen the last Ooh, few weeks. I don't that's think a good Craig, I don't mind that. I don't think Craig Fitzgibbon's going anywhere from, from the Roosters, but I don't think the Broncos are going to go down that path. And they're going to, going to convince themselves they need they need I a feel like experience. If it's anyone other than Paul Green or Kevin Walters, I'll be surprised. Hundred percent, mate. And that would yeah. only come with a massive change of Brisbane culture. Hey, that have to be different board CEO come in to, to look out at that. Hey, that looks like it's narrow focus on Kevy and Greeny and, and, you know, other candidates. I don't mind. I don't mind Jason Rolls down at Melbourne. He's certainly got his more hands-on role there now. And you hear players talk about him glowingly a bit too, but I do think it's green or Kevy not stoked with either of them. Do think both of them will be an improvement because the guys won't be miserable, but I do think out of those two, I prefer Paul Green just because you think like, I know I've been on his back for two, three years, but it's like, maybe he can, see the error of his ways and the, how overly structured he was come in and I know putting the right assistance around him he, he has a guy he likes in performance at Brisbane already and Steve Kroll who is there with him up at the Cowboys put the right team around him maybe that's the kind of guy that I don't know if he can lead the club forward but he can at least turn them back in the right direction it's, you know maybe that's the guy but I, I, I hope they don't make that decision until you know November time kind of thing you know until they've done Paul White's gone you know potentially Icons in whoever's an yeah. CEO in let's wait I just don't think they're brave enough to make a decision like Todd Payton or Jason Riles or Craig Fitzgibbon I just can't see it I can't no people don't well people rarely get their first big gig at at the Broncos it's not it's not exactly a stepping stone club put it that way yeah. and I, 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 just I mean it could be it could be now I just wonder if they're at all... I mean, I know it wasn't Seabold's first job, but he'd only been a head coach for about, you know, six months before they courted him. So I just wonder if perhaps they're burnt by that a little bit and that's why they might fall back into this sort of trap of, you know, safe and steady hand, knows the club, or more in Walters's case, or safe pair of hands in Green's case. Um, I just, yeah, I, I'd be shocked if it's not one of those two. Yeah, um, I, I agree, and... Um... As I said, I think they'll buy into that fallacy and they need an experience here to turn it around. I don't know if that's always the truth, but you know, out of those two, I want green. But I don't know if the drum will beat too loudly for Kevy and they'll think they've got to correct the error of their ways and pick the guy they didn't pick last time and go that way. And, but again, I'm not as bad against that. As I, like, I hated that and I hated the idea of green after Wayne because the person who was coming next was supposed to be the successor. And I didn't see those two taking our team to the next level. 
they've hit such a low now though that I don't hate them as much as I should. <laughs> like it's just so beautiful. It's like, well, it's not Seabold. That that's how they've got me now. Like, well, at least it's not Seabold. That's a must. Maybe they wanted green all along. I mean, the only way they could sell it to the fan base. But I was like, they had to, they had to give you nothing to make you want to. <laughs> if you well, get. I think, that, and I do think, by the way, one of the benefits of the Brisbane being so big and their media coverage, and there's way too much media coverage on Brisbane, as we all know, but that that board, CEO, recruit manager, they're all under pressure. I've never heard a recruitment manager's name put under pressure any other club. No one gives a shit who they are. It's always the coach. But at Brisbane, going this poorly, everybody knows Carl Morris, Paul White, and Peter Nolan's names right now. And they will be faces on a dartboard this offseason. I think Paul Nolan's probably, uh, Peter Nolan's probably as good, good as dead in the water as well. And I think, you know, if anything comes out of this paying guy third-party agreement stuff, him and Isaac Moses with bags of cash dudes over at Parramatta. Like, if that happens, he's, he's done with rugby league for life if he's done something like that again. Um, and then I think Carl Morris, whilst he's only been there two years and there's no real talk of him losing his job, I think that one might come in the off-season too. Yeah. Lots of change coming, I think, at the Broncos. And uh, I don't... I mean, I can't really get any worse. I mean, you probably have hit rock bottom, but it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for it to get better. What's a realistic time frame for you to think... Like, what, what would be a acceptable timeline for you to see Brisbane as back as sort of like one of the competition heavyweights or at, least, at the very least a finals contender? Mate, well, they should be top eight team next year. That's just it. Whoever they bring in, they should be a top eight team next year. That squad, there is holes in that team, but there's good enough players there to be in the top eight. And if once they're managing those players better, like even other things, other parts I've even touched on here, but the, those players keep getting injured with that stupid ethos of training at 110% every week. Like so many players are injured at Brisbane right now. And they've kind of like, mate, Milford's campings are gone every second week, but a fitter team next year, with a half-decent pack, we did, and with whoever they bring, they've got a bit of money now to bring somebody in. If they had the right signings, they should be a top-eight side. But whoever comes into Brisbane, should, it's not a hard team to turn around. Players will go there. You have, you, you should be targeting top four 2022. That's, that's, and that's would be my target as well. And that's, that's the interesting thing is, like, you see this, despite how bad it's been, players still want to go to the Broncos. So it shouldn't be that difficult for them to mm. be able to arrest this and turn it around, mm. at least to some extent. That's it, man. Like, even just this this year with how poorly they're going, it was on that, you know, the players poll again, which isn't always that interesting, but there's always a couple of things I find interesting. And the answers I find interesting are always who they like to beat, who they want to play for, whatever. And again, on that poll, number one team other players want to beat is Brisbane. And number one team they want to go to is still Brisbane. Actually, no, I think it was Roosters number one now, but oh, well, Brisbane are always one of the top two in that. And that's, that's it because it's still that one team city for now. Still has a crowd every week. Still makes your profile huge. Puts you in the origin spotlight when you're up there. You play three good games at the Broncos and you become part of the origin spotlight. And that was also one of the things Seymour mm-hmm. like blaming the media for too. Always good to attack the media in a press conference, but attack them for hyping Broncos players up. But yeah, I think, you know, it's a job that coaches will want. And it's a job like, you know, we just found out with the, with the Cowboys job that apparently Mike McGuire and other contracted coaches are going for it. We actually don't even know who will go for the Broncos job when it comes available properly now, like there could be contracted coaches that want it because it's very rare that big jobs come available. I mean, Seba was a contracted coach when he went for it, but the, um, the real big ball move, by the way, and they haven't got the tack to pull it off is like, go get on the phone to Craig Bellamy and Ken Smith and don't put the phone down until they, they say they're coming. Can you imagine? They do, they go full Al Pacino any given Sunday. Yeah. And get, 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 get here, man. Steaming Willie Beeman. 
Mate, well, but seriously, that's, that's what I'd be doing. Like, I know they've, they've failed to get Craig so many times, but I'd be doing things to him on the... Like, I'd be saying to Craig, like, you know, everyone's about their legacy, right? And Bellamy's proved it at the storm, but it's like, do you really want to prove you're the GOAT, Craig? Look where the fuck we are now. If mm. you can take the Broncos from 15th to winning something, yeah, there will never be a question again, mate. It's like, you know, Wayne Bennett had to leave Brisbane to go to the Dragons to win to prove it to everybody else. If you want to get rid of those questions, if you could do it without the Storm, without all those other guys, you come to Brisbane and you do it. And that's the same thing with Ken Smith. You know, people can deny your greatness at Melbourne and say you've got it easy with, with Craig as well. You guys come to Brisbane and turn that club around. Yeah, we'll we'll see what people well, think of you. Well, there. There's the no thing. denying it, it. It might not have been appetizing to him to want to succeed Wayne Bennett or to come into a club mm. that was already good because he might have felt that he would, even if he did succeed, not get the kudos that he deserved. But as you said, right now they are at rock bottom. So if there was a time for Craig Bellamy to come in and prove how great of a coach that he is, it would be to come to Brisbane right now and immediately reverse their fortunes. And yeah. if I mean, if him and Cam Smith arrived, I mean, you'd you'd put you'd put money on them to be in the top four next year, I think. 100%, mate. And you'd give them, like, I know when, when um, Seabold came, they weren't ready to relinquish as much control. You know, Paul White and Lockyer and Nolan are very act- active. Going to Craig now, be like, mate, this is your ship. You steer this wherever you want. And I, and I don't think there's pretty much any chance of that happening, but that's what they should be doing right now is, like, don't even think about other candidates. So don't, don't pick up, don't have meetings with Kevy Walters. Fuck the coffees or the Zoom calls with him and, and Paul Green. They'll still be there in three months. They will, exactly. That's the other thing. Well, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, harass so, Craig Bellamy. He's in Queensland right now. He cut, well, lock him in the goddamn state <laughs> and then sort it out. Remind Kemp Smith how much he loves playing at Suncorp. That's it. But you get to play here every week. It'd be great. Think about yeah. that. Yeah, that, That's Either, what I'd be doing. Yeah, I think, I mean, that is obviously the dream, I think, for any Broncos fan. Whether it's reality is another story. But yeah, um, it won't happen. <laughs> well, no, but it's nice to have dreams. Um, but yeah, uh, that was our, um, uh, our Seabold... Uh, sort of deep dive, I guess. Um, before we go, I just want to thank all of our Patreons. Um, we'll just give a shout out to the people in the top two tiers. That's NRL. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. And they are Bert Andrews, Dave, Dan Cullinane, Chris Abnell, Maddie McPee, Carlo Tyson, Michael Murray, Roxanne Clark, Warwick Ahern, Ty, Simo Alley, Wayne Ritchie, Jason, Tom Hardy, please don't name me, Jace G, Thor Laycock, and Jack Snape. We love you all, as well as everybody else who um, subscribed to us at the lower levels. And anyone who listens, we love all of you very much. Um, mm, we do. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have come to the end of another Honorable Rookies. We'll be back uh, with uh, a couple more podcasts that we'll be recording this weekend, hopefully. But we needed to get this one out there while, while the takes were still fresh and hot. <laughs> or, the takes were hot. And, and I hope mm. that if you're a Broncos fan, you find this therapeutic. And if you're not, you find this very funny. Um, say, <laughs> say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Mitchell. Say goodbye, Dale. Ta ta. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs>